Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've been to see Godzilla Minus One. Yes. Um, a title which is not explained in the film. I was hoping it would be. Um, <laughs> the, the director, Takashi Yamazaki, has explained it, saying that um, it's to do with the film is set in um, post World War II Japan and it's desolate. No one has anything. Japan's lost everything. Um, people are riddled with their memories and, and regrets from the war and that mm. sort of thing, and all the people they've lost. And the title Minus One is supposed to evoke. The feeling that no, you can't get any lower than this. Oh, you know, right. Japan can't be any lower. Um, and then on top of all that, fucking Godzilla attacks. Ah. So <laughs> you can get lower. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, I mean, I was confused by this slightly because I, I, the other day, or just recently, um, on Twitter, I saw a trailer for Godzilla X Kong, which is going to be the new Legendary Pictures Monsterverse. Godzilla film. Right. We've seen a couple of those on the podcast. It'll be the, like, yeah, it'll be the fifth. And um, so, for, and because this, you know, Godzilla doesn't ever look too different between his various incarnations. Um, and I just had, like, I didn't internalize that the title of that film was different to the title of this film. So I was like, let's see the new Godzilla film. Which is why I was confused when they weren't showing this in the IMAX screen. Because I was like, surely the big blockbuster Godzilla film will be. But no, this is um, a Japanese produced film as you were pointing out just now on wikipedia it says this is the 37th film in the godzilla franchise yeah which is amazing. ridiculous so godzilla started in 1954 it's had various incarnations various series it's been run by various companies and this is different to the current american series mm. um and it's it's been rebooted in japan and the budget for this is reported as being lower than 15 million dollars because someone i think someone asked the director um, didn't this cost $15 million? And he said, I wish it had been $15 million. Oh, right. <laughs> so who knows how much it's actually cost. Right. Um, but I mean, all the money is on screen and then some. Some yeah, of it yeah, looks yeah. fantastic. It looks fantastic. Yeah, it's really amazing good. what you can do on a, on a lower budget. And actually, I mean, this has been, I don't know, something I've been observing quite a lot recently because since CGI renders lots of different things visually accessible you get a lot of otherwise small national film industries that now create these genre films mm. yeah that rely on special effects that had previously been uh, accessible only to hollywood so actually what you have now and this is a good example of this is you know these these films from small countries like japan Right, that are now circulating. It's small. Let's it's relative. Japan's huge. It's got a bigger economy than the UK. It's massive. I mean, how? What's? Why are you finding it small uh, in terms of film industry? Japanese cinema is entirely reliant on its own population, right. largely. Okay. Right, uh, the whole film industry. And I don't know what the population is, but what eighty million or something. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a small film industry. I mean, okay. Okay. You know, kind of India makes films for billions of people. Hollywood makes films for billions of people. China makes films for billions of people. Okay. Yeah, you're talking here you. about a small industry. And now you. these films can circulate internationally and they look just as good as kind of, you know, anything that Hollywood does, really. Yeah, it looks great. It's interesting. So I don't know if I mentioned the director's name, Takashi Yamazaki, who is a, you know, a bit of a name in Japan, although this is the first I've heard of him. This is Wikipedia. 
Yamazaki is considered the leading filmmaker in the Japanese film industry. He's received six Japanese Academy Awards, many other things. And I think he considers this a kind of culmination of the, his sort of cinematic career. Mm. Um, although I'm sure he will continue. To mm. give, I mean, this, there's room open for a sequel at the end of this, obviously. Yeah, this was such fun. Um, and I think it's it's interesting. I was kind of thinking about Barbie and Oppenheimer mm. and how one of the reasons that that became such a big deal in the summer was that it was kind of offering a slightly different or unconventional or offbeat experience to people, which mm. was kind of of their own creation. The films weren't, you know, remarkable in not themselves. I think they were. Well, not, not remar- I mean, remarkable in terms of being weird and different, mm. but it was the audience's combination of them and the imagination of the public said, this is going to be different and special and it well. made into something. And I kind of think that this also offers something to a, to a Western audience that is looking for something slightly different. Well, I mean, for me, what's what's different in a way um, is it looks mashing. It's emotionally involving in quite a crude way. Yeah, like it's a very cliche-ish, uh, but effective emotional pull mm-hmm. that, that it offers. Um, and it's also a commentary on, on, on society, you know, and the past and the present, really, you know, kind of. The whole story revolves around a man who didn't do his duty, who feels guilty to be alive, yeah, who kind of, who starts with minus one, <laughs> but thinks that he's actually uh, owed nothing, that he doesn't deserve anything, right? Yeah, and it's about kind of overcoming, yeah, those uh, personal kind of traumas and uh, forging a future, imagining a future, thinking of the future as something that is possible for him, mm. right? So, and, and that strand of the story has both, you know, a, a, a societal kind of dimension and an individual one. I think you're right that the storytelling is, what, what's the word you use, crude? I mean, I would say it's simple. It kind of, it's interesting. It doesn't overburden itself with, this is one of the things I was thinking about, actually, when I was thinking about um, Western blockbusters mm. um, and the kind of state of those over the last 10, 15 years, uh, the Marvel era, mm. um, is the abundance of lore. You know? And you're also getting this in the MonsterVerse films because they're building a universe of their own and it's the history of Godzilla and the blood feud with King Kong and all this kind of shit. And this film doesn't overburden itself with that kind of detail. It doesn't have any of it. In fact, when it comes to Godzilla himself, you know, we don't even get... We have the scientist character who is offering explanations of, of what Godzilla might do and why he's planned, you know, why he's made this plan this way. You're kind of going, he's not even relating it to, you know, what well, animals behave like this and this mm. is kind of an animal. So maybe we can use our knowledge of... It doesn't even do that. He's just like, I, this might happen. Mm. It's it, yeah, And it's not like it doesn't have detail. When you talk about the plans um, that they make, you know, you, it, it is explained that we'll be doing this and this and this and you have a good understanding of what the plan will be so that when you see it enacted, you know, um, it, it plays out quite legibly. But at the same time, it also does things like you know, it, it's this plan of um, the public because they're very explicit that the government's not interested in this. They're worried about tensions with the Soviet Union by this point. Um, so the, the government's not going to help us. No one's going to help us. We have to do it ourselves. But at the same time, they're able to liberate four giant gunships, a plane, bombs, you know, and it's like they can just get them, mm. you know, and it, it, well, it, it happens th- quite easily. I think there's a different. So there are several strands there. First of all, 
I mean, it's the United States who doesn't want to get involved, right? And there's all those images of McCarthy and so on, right? Because of the Soviets. Um, the um, They talk about the Japanese government not wanting involvement too. Well, I mean, I'm not... I, I don't know my Japanese history very well, but I thought they weren't allowed to arm in right. the immediate post-war period. Uh, and of course, there's a complete mistrust, and there's a line in the film, you know, of a, of a government who cared so little for the life of its citizens, right, that, you know, it had kamikaze pilots with other jackster seats, that it was quite happy to kind of sacrifice kind of millions of people, mm-hmm. right, on its ambitions of uh, kind of imperial expansion. Uh, so there's a critique of the culture itself. You know, there's a depiction of the moment. There is a kind of imagining of a collective. Yeah, I, 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 the Japanese people as an imagined community kind of, you know, imagined on the basis of its habits, its goodwill, and a kind of a, a moral and ethical dimension that is superior to that which the government uh, um, requires or demands. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, you know, the whole film is about people coming together to solve uh, a problem. Uh, people coming together on the basis of knowledge, skills, goodwill, and a volunteering of what they have to offer, not a demand it's not a tax it's out of goodwill right yeah. um it's also it's people coming together in defiance explicit defiance of the culture in which they live so mm. that speech you talk about when the skin of that, that doctor who is organizing everything coming up with the plans he talks about you know life is cheap here in japan and it has been and they've taken advantage of us and our government they they you know we had kamikaze pilots as you say and they didn't give us ejector seats and we had tanks that were half armoured and that kind mm. of thing and we were expected to die but no the point is to live the point mm. is to have a future when they because um, everyone in this film has been to war mm. and they live with that apart from that one kid mm. who really wants involvement in this and when they deny him that it's because the future is important it's important to have someone who hasn't been to war it's nothing to be proud of the one guy says the, the very cynical drunk guy you know and like it's one it's one of those characters who is a little bit of a cliche I mean I think there's a few of those in here where it's you know the um, the old cynical drunk, but the reason that he's old and cynical is because he knows what's good and right, and he will actually do the right thing, and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. So, um, and I think that's very interesting because the, the whole, I mean, the, the opening of the film sets up this kind of debt that your central character has, which is that he's a kamikaze pilot who um, deliberately didn't do his job, pretended that his plane had a fault, took it to this island. Who was too cowardly to die for his country. Yeah. Comes back and he's shamed for it. Um, and he, and this shame continues throughout his whole life. And part of this shame is also that on the island where he um, he gets his plane looked at, uh, where he uh, you know, chickens out and what have you, Godzilla attacks right at the start. And everyone, apart from him and another mechanic, dies. And the mechanic blames him for this his whole life. He blames himself. He didn't shoot the, the his twenty mil gun um, when he could have. Although, or, to be fair, and maybe this is me getting bogged down in detail, but the way that scene plays is they they all hide and then they encourage him, basically tell him, "Go and shoot your gun in your ship, um, in your ship, in your plane." Um, and he gets in the plane, but he doesn't do it. 
but but the thing is, Godzilla is on that island, not paying attention to anyone. He's walking around and stuff. But don't you get the feeling that they could just see it out and hide? And it's because one of the other people shoots in panic that he sees them and that he okay. goes mental. The scene is full of all those tensions. Yes, that's a possibility. But actually, I think the film is very good on differentiating what you know and what the characters in the film know. They mm. don't know that, right? And actually, the the whole, for me, the impetus of that scene is that even if Kimikashi, Kimikashi oh, okay, it's nice. uh, had shot Godzilla, it would have been for naught. Because, yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, that uh, firing that uh, missile would have done nothing to Godzilla except make him angry. Shikishima. So, Shikishima. So, um, so I think, you know, uh, uh, those are kind of things that create attention. Yeah. Um, but for me, the important thing is that the, the country asked of Shikishima something that no one should ask, which is to just go and die. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and of course, you know, he feels guilty because he thinks he's been a coward in not dying. And actually, the rest of the film is about offering people reasons to live. Right. And I think, you know, to me, that is the emotional power of the film. Yeah. That it's all about surviving, imagining a future, kind of, you know, uh, creating relationships and community and family in unexpected and unorthodox ways. Right. Mm. Yeah. But I think, you know, at a moment where everything around us seems so bleak, you know, the environmental issues, the future of the planet, the corruption of local governments, you know, uh, uh, the inability to kind of speak and express. And yeah, there is all of that to me is tied to, you know, this notion of how do you imagine a future at a moment that looks so bleak on almost every level? And what the film does is it answers those questions, even if only, yeah, in this imaginary <laughs> kind of way. Yeah, it says there are reasons to live, and there's an impetus to live, and we should do that. And it's, it's so true of the kind of environmental issues, mm. I think, the, the world faces, that you kind of feel like what well, we're just going to be subject to them. That's the mm. way it is. And you do feel like, you know, sort of giving up, basically. Yes. Like, or or, or you're, you're resigned to it, you know, there's nothing I can do, or whatever. But but this this film kind of takes that kind of attitude and says no there is something to fight for yeah. it you know on, on this occasion what it gives you is the ability to resolve that by putting a thousand bombs in Godzilla's head and then you win um which well, is harder to do with the environment no but. i i think I, I was the film was actually more clever than that and again you know contrary to our recent times where you know these fools with lots of money yeah, empowered to control the media, downgrade knowledge and science and know-how, right? The whole film is about this community of people who have know-how, who are mechanics and, you know, can fix planes and who know about science and or who can make inflatable beds or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, That's going to sound really weird to anyone who's not seen the film. Yeah. <laughs> and who figure out a way or who, you know, create a plan you know, that's based on knowledge and intuition and so on about how to defeat this monster that they know so little about, yeah. right? So again, you know, for me, the, yeah, I would say that part of the film's success is on calling on all of these things that are actually 
so contrary to recent the thinking or the culture or the ethos or the zeitgeist of mm. recent times, yeah, and offering kind of possibilities for the future in a way, and maybe this is what we should talk about next, that is very visually inventive and exciting to watch. Go on then. Well, I, you know, I was kind of um, thrilled at the very beginning when you see the monster, and it became immediately evident to me that this is a filmmaker, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you're seeing Godzilla squash people, right? And kind of you, you sometimes see the monster coming from below, or sometimes actually it's his face coming down on the people, mm -hmm. right? You know, and each of those is like kind of just... Yeah, thrilling. It's like, it's like the camera seems to be coming from the top of the screen, the bottom of the screen, the sides. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of somebody who knows about kind of cinematic space and how to get the best effect out of each angle. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. I, I was interested that there was so little music um, during so much of the film, not just the action scenes. It tends to come in towards the end of action scenes mm. to build up a, kind of a climactic moment or what have you. But for a lot of the time... It's, it's not doing it with any music. And there's a kind of... Um, I, I want to say without sounding too critical, but there's there's a kind of uh, simplitude to um, the film's aesthetic sort of schema, I think. You know, so I mean, what you're saying about the kind of variety of camera angles and ways in which Godzilla is shown is true. Um, but there's also... There's, there's, there's a level of kind of clarity which is very welcome, but also, to some extent, a little dull, I think. And I think that goes along with the lack of music. It's kind of, so it builds its scenes, particularly its action scenes, gradually and slowly, and one action follows another, and thing develops until ultimately you get to this mm. this more exciting climax and the rest of it. Uh, and it's not it's not something I'm critical of. I really enjoyed it and found it quite interesting. But I did, it did occur to me as quite different. I, I was kind of thinking about, like, in the in the the large action scene towards the end. Um, you've had all these details about the various things that are going to go into that fight, and one of them is um, that they they've got a recording of Godzilla's voice, and they're going to play it underwater so that he'll hear it and think it's another Godzilla and come and attack it. So they're going to lure Godzilla, and they do that. And I was thinking, where is the shot of Godzilla hearing it? Mm. Like that is what you would get, I think, in most films. I'm not necessarily comparing necessarily to Western films, although I think. You would, you would get the the, ex, the shot that says, "Oh, he's heard it." You don't get that here, they, and and there's there's there are elements like that that I was constantly kind of noticing or questioning or finding interesting that I thought this is just there's something that's it's just not being made in the way that I'm used to blockbusters. Well, I thought that was a good thing. Made. You know, your argument about the music is true, and there is that whole you know wonderful sequence where all the sound goes off, right? Um, but I thought that was a plus. I mean, I think. Well, I'm not. I'm not saying it in a critical way. I, there, are, I think there are times when it, th those elements really work for me, and times when they didn't. I just, but I was noticing them. I think this is why I say I think the film is is great for an audience that has demonstrated it's ready for something different to what yeah, it's been yeah. seeing for ten years. Okay, I hear you. Yeah. Um, I, 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 one of my criticisms of a lot of you know superhero action films is that it's almost all driven by the soundtrack it's like mm. you know you have like this huge propulsive kind of you know complex loud music right that seems to overtake everything else and actually that does like 90 percent of the work of mm -hmm. you know of what 
kind of the rest of the film should be doing. And this is not the case here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so I think they, uh, that's that's a good thing. And I was very absorbed by it. I mean, I do think I have criticisms of the film. I do think that it is kind of emotionally crude, like the you know the whole thing with the with the making of the family and the self sacrifice and the not wanting to marry and then the child and you know uh, again with a very typically terrible child actor. Um, I thought most of the, I, th- I mean I thought the protagonist was not very good either. No, but and so, he's asked to kind of cry and break down and get stressed and that sort of thing quite a lot. And I don't think he does a very good job. Yeah, I mean. It has, I mean, it's a B movie in all of those senses, mm. right? Um, so, and I do also think that it's a very Boise film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not a lot for the women here. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a very stereotypical kind of woman, very stereo, in, in many ways, also very stereotypical kind of um, depiction of women, right? Okay, so she goes to get a job. But, you know, that's, that's about the feminism of the film, that she's willing to get a job that's not being a, a sex worker. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, uh, but I also liked all those interactions between the men and the camar- camaraderie and the jokes and, you know, the, the kind of Hoxian kind <laughs> of element to it. I, I, you know, so, so... I think it's interesting, the main character, I kind of thought this... And <laughs> talk about this at one point. He's ba- even though the film is set in 1945 in the post-war period, he's basically a millennial, right? He, like, <laughs> he he doesn't like his responsibilities. He doesn't recognise them. I, I mean, at one point he even says so. So one thing that we haven't been explicit about is that um, when he returns home to you know a city that's been um, bombed and um, no family because they're dead, ne- almost everyone's dead, n- a neighbour. Um, hate him because for, he should have died because he, he should was have a died. kamikaze pilot so what's he doing alive um, he then is basically given a child by someone who's on the run this is this woman and then they end up forming this family because they don't have anyone else it's not her child either mm. she uh, it's from a, a friend or an aunt or something like that kind of, no, it's, not, not it's a child whose parents were killed yeah that's um, all. So, so they end up forming this kind of ersatz um, family, but they never. It never comes the wrong word. What's the word? Uh, um, Ad hoc family. Well, uh, um, it's enforced by circumstance and yeah, a non-traditional family because Ertzad means that it's not real. Yeah, that it's a fake family. Um, well, the but here's one getting to as well. You see, you've also got this thing about about not making it kind of official, quote unquote. This thing about you know getting married and she. I I think the film when the film ends up with you know they love each other and the reason that he didn't marry her was because he was still fighting his personal war. Um, I kind of thought I could see it was going here, but did it feel explicit enough early on? You know, you get these lines where she says, well, one particular part where she says, if I don't, this is when she gets the job, you know, if I don't stand up on my own two feet and, and leave you, you'll never get a wife. Mm. And you kind of feel like, oh, there's there's uh, intention behind that. that she, mm. But has that been there throughout? You know, you haven't seen them falling for each other in any way and refusing to get married because of X, Y, Z. Even though you see the, the, them in a relationship over various years. I mean, I thought, frankly, it couldn't be clearer. But, you know, but it's you're right that the film doesn't tell you. It's just the situation itself that tells you. Yeah, the fact that they are still raising this child together. Yeah. Yeah, sure. They're living together. But you also get this thing where at dinner with his new workmates, the guys clearing the the mines from the sea, they come around for dinner. And in front of them, 
he tells his this kid, I'm not your daddy, stop calling me daddy. Yes. And it's like, fucking hell, that's really harsh. Like even yeah. I mean and this is and that's what I'm thinking, like this is so explicit that this guy is is refuses to take these responsibilities and, and um this is saying that well, it's, it's not actually again, I'm not sure I agree with that because the thing is he does take on all those responsibilities. You know, I mean nothing is obliging him to be with this woman, no. to give her the money, to look after this child. Yeah, so, I mean... And then I, it ultimately I, becomes explicit that he's doing it because he has this personal yeah. war in his head that hasn't finished so yet. So he does take on his so, responsibilities, yeah. but, you know, he's clearly um, someone who thinks that he's not long for this world, that his war is not yet over. Yeah, and so from the start, when he survives this... this attack on the island um, and then he's tormented by the nightmares of it and so on you're kind of thinking or it's becoming reasonably obvious I think that the idea of him having to die is coming back into the, he's going to and particularly having to perform a kamikaze attack on Godzilla mm. is going to come back into this film as death this is absolute this is such clear idea which I think is interesting about um, Godzilla being kind of karma for him. Like when, <laughs> when when they're putting the plan together, you've got all these guys, former soldiers, who, you know, some of them leave because, you know, they've got families and everything, but the rest of them stay. And you're thinking, wouldn't it be great for him to put his hand up and say, oh, by the way, I'm pretty sure that this alien is, like, following me around because of karma. Maybe I should be responsible for this. Like, because mm. so it's, right? And that's obvious kind of from the start. And it's interesting. And, and I, I like the idea of that. And then when he gets a child... You know, that's when you go, he obviously has to survive this somehow, mm. right? Um, like the film, well, for one thing, you at this point, you also think that um, the mother, quote-unquote, is no longer in the picture, having been killed by Godzilla, and he's the only one left to look after her. Um, and so you're thinking that, no, this film is not going to let this child not have a parent by the end of this. Well, the thing is, again, you know, so there were several things. When she pushes him out of the way... Yeah, um, and saves him. Obviously, you get the feeling, the knowledge that she loves him. She's sacrificing herself for him. Mm. So, you know, that's kind of an emotional note. And then, just before they do the attack on Godzilla, when the neighbor receives a telegram, I thought the telegram is that she's alive. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, so clearly There are a couple of things, yeah. And when the kid draws the picture of, of me mm. and mummy and daddy and it's like come on the film is pouring it on so thick it's not going to yeah you know rather so, like the thing where when he gets his um that mechanic back who hates him for having you know that's the way he sees it caused everyone's death um and he's fixed up the plane to do this kamikaze attack with all these bombs to get rid of godzilla the film cuts away as he says one more thing and it's like, one more thing is, I've put an ejector seat in this play. We've had ejector seats mentioned, so it's in your mind. Yes. It's like that, He's done this because because this is the time in the film when everyone is starting to say we should be living. It should be a future for mm. us. And and he's got to be one of these, you know, mm. part of that. So again, it kind of, it's, it's reasonably obvious. Um, but it works, though. It does. And I think actually this is then balanced by what I think is really kind of, for me, thrilling filmmaking. You know, so the whole scene with the boats where they're trying to entrap Godzilla at the end, the big, yeah, mm -hmm. kind of action piece, you know, those swooping kind of airplane or drone shots, yeah, where they're, you know, the, the plane goes in one direction and you see it coming back towards the boat in one kind of, you know, shot. 
I thought all of that was like, you know, kind of thrilling to watch. You see the operation, you're told what it's going to be like, then you're shown how it's done, mm -hmm. right? And it's kind of thrilling to see it, yeah? Um, so I thought all of that was like really brilliant. It did make me laugh um, because the, this plan is to, to insert Godzilla time up and then release all this Freon that will sink him to the bottom of the ocean and try and crush him. Um, and if that doesn't work, then we're also going to uh, release those inflatable beds that you yeah, described, yeah, yeah. and it will bring him up so quickly that uh, he suffers from decompression sickness, yeah. <laughs> and that will kill him too. Um, the film is a little bit vague on that one, <laughs> how quickly that's expected to kill him. Um, but obviously, you know, it goes exactly the way you expect and the way the film has described. He sinks to the bottom of the sea, he's brought back up, he looks lovely in what appears to be a kind of tutu. <laughs> um, but I was thinking, like, you know that thing of which they also say at the start of this: if you shoot him, you'll just make him angry. I thought like they're just confusing him at this point. Like mm. it just looks like what are they doing? They're sinking me, bringing me back up. That really made me laugh. There were one or two things that I thought I had a real giggle with. Well, <laughs> that's kind of dumb. I mean, Godzilla is always kind of dumb. You know, he's yeah. a big old you know. Sort of but actually, the bit. interesting thing about it is that it's always kind of dumb, and it's always a little bit crude, and yet it's also, you know, quite deep and quite sophisticated. Right, it's a combination of those things because, of course, you know, the monster has become a whole set of different allegories about, you know, the nation, the world, nuclear war, yeah, the mm -hmm. state of Japan, uh, Japanese society, like kind of, you know, so all of these things are read through this allegory or, the, you know, this, this figure of the monster, right? And I think actually it's part of the potency of this film is the combination of that, of the filmmaking mouse and, you know, the visual mouse of the film. I mean, I love the way that sometimes you just see Godzilla's foot and, you know, sometimes you see it in action. Obviously, the animation is so good. And, you know, they refer you to what must have been, like, historic Tokyo landmarks, right? Like, the beloved Tokyo Theatre, whatever it was called. That was another bit where I laughed, where you've got these these news guys reporting from the top of a building while Godzilla is feet away from them, destroying stuff, and the guy's like, he's coming towards us, it's terribly dangerous. He's like, fucking run! <laughs> yes, I loved all of that. Um, so, so, you know, I think people are saying, oh, it's the best Godzilla film ever, and I can see it. It's certainly, I think, the best one I've seen. Really? Yes. I mean, well, to be fair, how many of the 37 have I seen? Not that many. Um, I think it's good in all sorts of ways. And I think that the way in which Godzilla is is used quite consciously um, in, in a kind of in a metaphorical way here is something that I haven't seen before. I never would have imagined. It's an interesting take. So mm. this idea that, that Godzilla in this film is the kind of the embodiment of the 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 change in culture that needs to happen in mm. Japan mm. from something that that had a kind of death wish or enforced death or didn't care about its people to something that values life yeah and and taking on Godzilla is proving that to yourself as a culture yeah, that's on, very interesting taking on Godzilla is fighting for a future yeah right yeah. that's really interesting yeah I'd never I know I mean you know as I say I've seen hardly any Godzilla films. Um, and I'm sure some of them are yeah, as meaningless as it gets. You know, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Well, maybe they were just making a silly film. You know, um, <laughs> and you can also read them however you want. Um, I don't. I don't know that in 1954 they were explicit about saying this is about nuclear war. But that's like the, what the classic way in which Godzilla has been read. Yeah, a response to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And it's in this film 
because actually there's that wonderful shot where they bomb, they do the test on the Bikini Atoll, and you have, you know, as the island explodes with a nuclear bomb, you have the figure of Godzilla coming out of it. Yeah. Um, so the fact that the filmmakers may clearly want to say something or not is irrelevant to how people want to read it. Um, but here it, it, it seems fairly clear that... It seems fairly intentional. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really interesting. Um, I do. I wish it had been... I was going to say more emotionally involving. I would say actually at all emotionally involving. I wasn't in tune with it on an emotional level. I think part of it is the, is the issues with the performances. I think part of it is just the the um, the storytelling of the, the family and the guy's um, uh, internal torment um, is different. It's kind of at a different pace. I mean, this is a different type of cinema, Japanese cinema, and it's one that I haven't seen an awful lot of, and I think there are elements that it's just... As you were saying, like, how could it have been more clear that these two are in love and stuff? It's with mm. the situation. Well, maybe that's it, right? Like, I would expect more explicitness in Western cinema... And because it's not here, but I'm just not in tune with that. Maybe, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I do think that there are a lot. I mean, you know, I always feel with these Japanese Godzilla films that there are things that you just don't have access to, right? So you know, when Godzilla is rampaging through Tokyo, you know, I mean, if it were rampaging through uh, Birmingham, you know, (laughs) and if it like sat on the rotunda, it would have a particular meaning to us. Whereas, you know, for someone else, it might just be like a round building, right? (laughs) You know, so I'm sure that there's a lot of things like that in this film that, you know, some buildings are iconic and people attach meaning, kind of get meaning from them. And the destruction of some things becomes more emotionally vibrant than some the destruction of something else. Right, and that you don't have access to because I don't know the geography of Tokyo now, much less then, right? Um, so, so I always kind of just accept that there are some things that are not aimed at me and that I, I don't, I won't get unless you do some research on it. Mm. But that said, I think the film worked on me on all other kinds of levels, really. Mm. You know, I kind of even the cheesiness of the nuclear, the non-nuclear family thing, it did kind of, you know, I, I. Um, I was touched at moments, and at moments, like you say, the acting is just so terrible that the moment itself gets ruined. Like, you know, when he goes to the hospital and finds her, right? And he has yeah. that breakdown, and you're just like, oh my God, get an actor. <laughs> 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 you know, but, but it worked, and I'm, you know, I'm very glad I saw it. Yeah, um, and when it comes to Godzilla himself, or itself, whatever... As, as as an entity, I think you know it looks fantastic. It looks kind of, it looks kind of cute in certain ways. You know, its face. Like I mean, the thing about lizards is they don't, they can't move their faces. Mm. But of course, Godzilla can. <laughs> he can look, he can scowl if he wants, mm. and he does in this. And and I really enjoys um, the way in which his atomic breath, um, or here it's they call it his heat ray, is used. Yes. So you know. And actually, this is something that you you get in the trailer for Godzilla X Kong, which mm. is yet to come out. Is this shot of um, the camera moves up its back as its plates um, mm. light up yes. uh, as it charges up, right? So it's like it's common to both films. It's 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 a quite obvious way to show this uh, to show this thing happening. Although in Godzilla X Kong, uh, Godzilla is pink. Mm. I think the Barbie influence. Um, <laughs> it is. It's Barbenheimer, yeah. isn't it? It's nuclear bombs, and it's a pink Godzilla. Mm. Um, 
but it works so well here. But he has this thing about not only do the plates light up, but they kind of sh- they lock in place, they mm-hmm. move, mm-hmm. and it's fantastic. And it and it really it charges up in a way that is like it's a meaningful attack. You know, like it matters when Godzilla does this, and not only does it matter, but it's you know, if you look at the um, uh, legendary pictures films, the MonsterVerse films. It's just the thing that it does, and it shoots out laser breath, and things get destroyed. But in here, it's it's it, like I say, it's charging up this shot, and then it's a single shot that happens, and it results in a giant nuclear explosion at the mm. far end. And it's it's huge. I mean, I was even thinking, slightly uncharitably, but I was thinking like, God, I wish Oppenheimer's had looked like this. Mm. I remember being very underwhelmed by Oppenheimer's nuclear explosion. Mm. And one of the things is that Christopher Nolan is famously he he will not use. CGI if he feels he can do things in other ways. Um, although, you know, he obviously does use CGI an awful lot as well. But um, I was thinking, you know, this is this is what I want a nuclear explosion to look like, kind of. It's far away. This is something that you get from Gareth Edwards' films. We talked to mm. him. He did the first Godzilla in the American series. And he did... Uh, what was that film we saw recently, set in the future? Um, the Creator. Mm. And I don't think I necessarily gave him credit there which I should have done, for his ability to use scale. Mm. You know, he's always done that, and he was perfect for Godzilla for that reason, although there were issues with his film in terms of not being exciting enough. Mm. But you got the feeling of the impossible scale of this thing. And here you get something similar. That nuclear explosion that you get at the end of these atomic breath shots is vast, and it's impactful, and it's important, and you really feel the thing. Yeah. I also like the progression of the monster because actually after every attack, he obviously gets stronger, right? Which is, again, in this particular film, you're not told that, but you see it, mm. right? Because, you know, every time he's reconstituted, like he's more he's more scaly, more rocky, those um, gills or whatever it is at the back that come out just before he shoots that breath become bigger, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, and then when he comes up after having been sunk and brought back up from the bottom of the ocean, um, he he's really kind of... He looks like he's got vitiligo or something, like mm. this skin plate coming off, whatever his scales, mm. and he's and he's got these kind of light patches of skin underneath, and you really get this interesting feeling of how he's been damaged, mm. but not quite damaged enough because mm. you still need to fly a plane into his mouth. So I thought that was really interesting, and I think, as you say, I think some of the things where I was not quite in tune with the film probably do come down to the film is being explicit about things, but it's being explicit about things in a way that I'm not used to a film being explicit about things. Mm. It's showing me things in a different way mm. that are nonetheless quite obvious to an audience that is that is in tune with how to read this type of film. Yeah. I mean, I really like the international circulation of films that are clearly aimed at a national audience, right? So, you know... I mean, I think uh, this was the number one film in Japan like three weeks in a row. It's obviously, you know, a huge success in its own country. And it obviously means something different in its own culture. And, you know, I'm sure that like every Japanese film goer will have a much wider set of references to the Mm. Godzilla history than we do. Right. And yet, you know, kind of I think we got a lot out of it. We certainly I certainly appreciated it a lot. It was very entertaining. It's very enjoyable, and also it has a lot of interesting ideas, and I think a lot of timely ideas. Yeah, I agree. I think it's original in all the right ways. Yeah, and I really appreciate it. Yeah. So, um, so I highly recommend. Yeah.
Still looking forward to the one with Pink Godzilla, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's to come. That's to come. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all very much for listening. We're eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, at eavesdropmovies, and Blue Sky, eavesdropping.bsky.social. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>